everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, last episode, we reviewed X-Men number 41, which is called Now Strikes the Subhuman with the wonderful novelist Neil Clyde. Uh, we saw Prince Gortok of the underground Gortokians. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't make this stuff up. Well, you can make this stuff up. That's why it's fiction. Uh, he saw his entire race wiped out by human atomic experiments. Uh, and those experiments also changed him into a super strong, white-furred, monstrous guy that took on the name Grotesque uh, with a K. So you know he's evil because there's a K. Uh, Grotesque battled the X-Men before attacking the surface world with the intent to kill humans in the same way. Uh, Meanwhile, Professor X is acting strange and keeping some sort of secret with Marvel Girl. Uh, Today we're going to be reviewing uh, X-Men number 42, which is called If I Should Die. This issue is written by Roy Thomas with uh, pencils by Don Heck, inks by George Tuska, and letters by Sam Rosen. Uh, But before that, we have three wonderful guests I'd like to introduce. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, my friend Bethany Pope back. Hi, Bethany. Hi. And then Hello. we have we have uh, uh, the artist uh, Luis Valero Suarez joining us today. Hi, Luis. Hi. Thank you for having me, Chad. So happy you're here. And then uh, finally, I'm so honored to be joined by one of my favorite comic book artists, Elena Casagrande, here with us from Italy. Hi, Elena. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me here. So happy to have you. Uh, So as we're beginning, let's have everybody introduce themselves. Let us know your gender pronouns, where people might know you or your work from. And then the question I have during introductions today is just name a character death from fiction that had a devastating effect on you. Uh, Let's go in the order of Bethany, Lewis, and then Elena. Okay. Um, Should I start? Um, Yep. Okay. I'm I'm Bethany. (laughs) Sorry. I'm Bethany Pope. Uh, I'm a novelist and a poet. And I'm based in China. My pronouns are they, them. I'm non-binary, bisexual. Um, I've got a small baby who you might hear screaming in the background at any any moment. Um, <laughs> so my latest novel is called The Hungry and the Lost, and it's released by Parthian in a Parthian publisher, Wales. And I help admin the House of X group um, on Facebook, which is a lot of fun. I, I love X-Men, so this is very this is my happy place. Um, the character, the character death that was the most affecting um, for me was Nightcrawler. Uh, his first death. I know that in the current um, the current era, they're dying and resurrecting all the time. But um, in 2010, uh, in X uh, Force number 26, Nightcrawler died and he was stabbed in the chest by Nimrod, and it was traumatic. I was in college and I was reading it while I was on the elliptical. I was going you know, back and forth and back and forth. And I got to the point where he died and I threw the book across the gym and I think I hit a bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't read comics for about two years. I switched, um, well, that's a lie. I switched over to image and I was just, you know, in image for a while. Um, and I came back when I was getting my PhD and when um, Nightcrawler was safely alive again. <laughs> so that was, that was probably... That was horrible. That was like losing a family member because I've loved him since I was 12. Um, so that was the the death in fiction that most affected me. Fantastic. It didn't last long, but it was a very effective storytelling. No! Thank God. <laughs> and like, seriously, I was dating, I was dating my spouse at the time. And like um when he came back to life, 
when they finally like they had the quest for Nightcrawler in heaven, um, Bethany and me, I I went crazy. I was calling. I called my grandmother. I called my grandmother, and I was like, Nana, Nana, Nightcrawler's alive! Nightcrawler's alive! And she's like, Who's Nightcrawler? Um, but yes. <laughs> uh, Louis, Louis, let's have you go next. Hi, I'm Louis. Uh, my pronouns are him, he, um, and one character effect. Well, I'm an artist. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, um, L-O-V-S-18. Um, I just kind of post my stuff there. Um, and one fictional character that affected me the most when they died wasn't even a character that I was like super attached to. I just remember the death being like one of the most like shocking. Um, it was from a show called Avatar The Last Airbender. I don't know if you guys know that show, right? Oh, Great yeah. show. Yeah. Um, and it's the character named Jet. Spoiler alert. Um, he <laughs> his death scene in yeah. that show it's it's fantastic because given that it's a kids show they can't really like show you or like officially confirm that he's actually dead. But there's this moment where like you know he gets hit by the by the villain of the episode and he's like on the ground and he's like, you guys have to keep going like you guys have to go and leave me behind. And he's like, don't worry, I'll be okay. And as they're walking away, one of the main characters named Toph, she's like, he's lying. He's lying. Like, he's totally dead. And I was just like, oh, God. Like, that shocked me. It was just like not seeing it, but knowing exactly what happened to that character was just, for me as a kid, was just, like, overwhelming. Uh, uh, Lewis drew this really gorgeous image of Namor on my wall. So... Yeah, <laughs> oh, I saw that on Instagram. That's awesome. Yeah, beautiful Thank work. You. Yeah, I, uh, I do. Oh, yeah, I was listening to to the Little Mermaid soundtrack the whole time while making that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a mental health counselor by trade. I do therapy, and I often stand at this desk on Zoom calls, and I always try to position my head right here because the shirtless man on my wall is a weird backdrop. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I've got a like a nightcrawler right there. You can't really see. It. Oh well, <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> Uh, and then Elena, let's have you yeah. next. <clears throat> well, I'm uh, <clears throat> Elena Casagrande, and um, I'm, you can use with me she, her pronouns. I'm based in, in Italy, and I'm a comic book artist. Uh, I'm a wolf for Marvel and DC Comics. Uh, you can find my work uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and maybe you read something about Black Widow lately, uh, the series uh, I've done with Kelly Thompson. And uh, well, uh, the most traumatic uh, death for me doesn't come from comics, uh, but it comes from uh, Anine. And uh, it's uh, about Spike Seagull from Cowboy Bebop. Yes, I I was 15, maybe, when I saw that for the first time. And I think I almost cried for a whole month. <laughs> because uh, I think uh, it has been my first crush. For, yes, for a fictional character. Uh, <laughs> but that kind of end was very traumatic. And uh, I never have success uh, until uh, maybe a few 
months ago when I watched again the, the series and uh, I noticed that uh, now that, that I very much 40 years old, <laughs> I, uh, I understand a uh, different point of view, the kind of that, the kind of the uh, uh, character. And maybe now I, I can accept. But I spent the last uh, 30 years to cry every time I saw something about Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> I know how you feel. It's like that. It's like it's like a personal thing, even though it's absolutely not personal. Yeah. It feels personal. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, and then, my name. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just want to tell that I was alone because uh, um, I uh, had an experience um, with uh, uh, who I can I can I could share my passion for anime or comics uh, or other stuff uh, of the same kind. So I was totally alone with my grief <laughs> at, at that time. But now it's different. Storytelling, when it's done well, makes us feel feelings, right? And when we're grieving a character, that's amazing storytelling. I uh, My name is Chad. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I I can think of probably 20, if I'm honest, uh, but a couple that come to mind, Old Yeller from the old Disney movie. Uh, the first season of 24, if you guys remember that show, in the very like last, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but it's a long time ago, <laughs> but in the very last like 90 seconds of the first season, a major character is just revealed to have been dead. Like Jack's trying to save his wife and he walks in and she's been dead the whole time. And it was devastating. And then you see, you see comic books or shows who will build entire arcs around major characters dying. Game of Thrones and um, The Walking Dead uh, or Lost, that old show Lost, which didn't end well, but it was a great ride. Uh, there's, there's, so many, there's so many impactful, you know, like it just guts you when you read it. Uh, Dumbledore is another example, like by word, uh, 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 stories that get you in fiction. In, in Marvel, I think the most traumatic death for me ever uh, still uh, is, even though it was before I was uh, reading comics, uh, is the, the death of Gwen Stacy. Uh, that old story with Spider-Man, it just had that type of impact. You, he's rushing to rescue her. And then there's just this very tragic, sudden, you know, uh, abrupt ending. And it's just devastating. Uh, that gets me more than Uncle Ben does. <laughs> so, uh, I want to spend the first type, uh, first part of our interview today, our, our, our podcast today, just getting to know uh, Elena a little bit. Um, uh, Bethany and Lewis, if you have any questions along the way, please feel free. Now, most people uh, probably know Elena, at least uh, because this is kind of a Marvel podcast, from her incredible work on Black Widow, uh, which is just gorgeous. The work you were doing is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, you were drawing... You're drawing uh, uh, Natasha in, uh, you know, motorcycle chases and leaping off of roofs, uh, but you're telling a very tragic, vulnerable story about her as well. In 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 this story uh, with uh, Kelly Thompson writing, we're seeing Black Widow in some vulnerable spots. Some villains rewrite her mind and give her a fiance and a child, and she has to go through a series of battles in which she ends up kind of losing them. Um, and so we're seeing in her in, in some vulnerable spots. And then in the more recent comics, we're seeing her in more of a parental role over some, some new uh, developing heroes. 
Uh, and it's just gorgeous, gorgeous work. It's taking Black Widow to new places. Uh, Elena, tell us a little bit about how you got this gig, what it's like working with Kelly, uh, and just some of your favorite moments across your Black Widow run so far. Uh, well, uh, to, to work with Kelly is fantastic because um, she's uh, really able to write and let you image uh, right after what to do uh, with the image. Uh, so it's really uh, fluently script. And uh, uh, it's uh, the best part uh, to read a, a script for me because uh, uh, it gives me the chance to uh, work faster and uh, spend to spend uh, part of my time to have fun, to find uh, interesting solution uh, about the storytelling uh, or uh, some particular frame or the choreography of the fight. So I'm really, really happy to work with Kelly. Uh, I never worked with, uh, with her uh, before it, so uh, I, was um, happy surprised and uh, I look forward to continue to work with, with her. And uh, yes, we, we do um, a good job with, uh, with Matt. Um, when I uh, read the script for the first time, the synopsis, um, I wasn't so convinced that the people uh, could uh, like so much the story uh, because for me uh, put um, iconic character like her into a new situation um, is based is uh, the base to do a good story uh, so uh, I was a little worried that maybe could be a little bore uh, for, for readers but uh, maybe I, I read or I uh, watch too much uh, <laughs> uh, TV shows. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes, I, I really appreciate the, the feedback from the readers. And uh, I'm, I was happy to um, turn, transmit all the, the feelings and the moods Kelly put in the script uh, with my my work uh, and yes uh, the best moment uh, the that I work on or maybe the uh, the moment that I uh, felt um, closer to me uh, was the scene when Okai try to uh, talk with her for the first time uh, uh, when uh, she is in uh, her new garage. And um, he saw for the first time uh, she as a son. Mm. So I was uh, uh, shocked with him because uh, uh, I understood the, the totally new situation uh, he saw uh, next. And uh, I um, was 
I was close to Nat for the baby because I became mom uh, uh, a few years ago. So I I I I know that uh, that is the sensation and was very very um, I don't know how to say uh, earth 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 warming yeah 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 global warming yeah yeah uh, <laughs> I don't know if you maybe other questions. Yeah, no, I have lots of questions. Uh, if, you, if you line up your uh, your covers on the series, there is this gorgeous palette of red and black with Black Widow and all these different action shots. Uh, it's fashion. It is popping. Uh, it's Jordi Belair doing your colors, correct? Yeah. Uh, so Jordi is a, a, a female colorist in Ireland. I've never met her, but uh, we're seeing this like mostly all kind of female team taking this iconic female character and just lining up the the work you're doing is just stunning. It's gorgeous. Um, uh, Jordy's colors on your art is one of my favorite things in comics right now. Um, uh, tell us a little about your work with with Jordy. And then one of the questions I wanted to ask you is you get to do this action mixed with uh, mixed with kind of a family story, but also fashion at the same time. What do you like <laughs> drawing, uh, and what what is hard for you to draw? So tell us about working with Jordy, and then uh, and then a little about just some of the art you're doing in Black Widow. Uh, I work with uh, actually I work with uh, Jordy uh, before Black Widow on uh, some DC comics like um, the Annual of the Batgirl. Um, I think uh, she worked on Catwoman as well. So uh, she colored some pages uh, by me of Catwoman, but she uh, uses a different style uh, with, uh, on the pages. Um, so when we started the uh, Black Widow, uh, she started um, a different uh, approach because uh, uh, me too, I use a different style from uh, Catwoman and Batgirl. Uh, and uh, she uh, surprised uh, all of us uh, finding uh, um, simply, but uh, uh, very strong uh, solution for the colors. The colors, mm. uh, as you can see, are um, simply because there's no, uh, particular shadows uh, or uh, lighting aspects, but they um, they go with the the mood of the story. They um, uh, talk about the story uh, as my drawing. Uh, mm -hmm. You can, uh, I think, you can feel better the mood of all the students uh, also because uh, John did uh, fantastic work. What do you um, enjoy? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, she's able to um, choose the color for every situation, the right color for every situation. She's fantastic. Yeah, yeah she's amazing. What do you enjoy uh, drawing uh, most in Black Widow? What's the funnest for you? And what do you find challenging? Um, 
this is not an, an answer uh, to let you be happy, but I enjoy to draw both um, fight scenes and uh, uh, talking scenes. Because mm. uh, when I draw two characters uh, who are talking, I like to uh, underline the expression uh, to uh, make more evident their feelings. Um, I used to read a lot of manga. And uh, in manga, this is a, a common um, way to, uh, to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I uh, put all my knowledge about manga every time I have to for more characters that are talking. Uh, but I like to draw also the fight scene, action scene, because um, they, um, they uh, bring me uh, a lot of fun. It's more difficult because uh, I have to uh, create uh, all the choreography all the punch or the kick you saw, it, uh, they are all by me. Uh, but it's funny. It's funny to uh, find a way to create a fluid mo- movement and also a strong, uh, uh, powerful movement. And also, and also to find a way to um, leave it uh, uh, interesting to the readers and not get bored with the readers. Sure. You know? Now you've done yeah. it. Oh, uh, Lewis, go ahead, please. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that like that, the fight scenes are like one of my favorite parts of your art because I just love the way that you lay out. Like there's certain panels where in the same panel you have like a layout of all the different stages of her action moves. Um, in one panel and I just absolutely love when artists do that because like it's so interesting and like you said like there's enough there that you know what's happening but like it's also like up to the reader to kind of um, like fill in the gaps and and I love the little like um, panels where like you have little like the red boxes that kind of focus on little aspects of her like grabbing grabbing a knife picking up this that that she uses later on in the fight and it's like it's such a great um, thing to like study yeah uh, well uh, that the kind of technique um, of storytelling technique is um, from Gianni De Luca comic uh, book yeah. Italian artist uh, that I used to read when I was uh, a kid and maybe uh, it remained uh, inside of my head in some corner of my of my brain and uh, when I uh, found myself in the situation to um, show uh, more than a movement in a, in a panel, the first solution that came to my mind was, uh, was that. Uh, I, uh, I thought uh, that was pretty used. <laughs> I discovered that not so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And when I put the leader panel to focus on on uh, the main details uh, or uh, characters uh, here and there, 
is because uh, I uh, put myself in the uh, from the part of the readers, and sure, yeah. uh, I ask myself uh, what I need to know to understand better this the situation. So I use the kind of little tiny panels like um, Asia do did yeah. on Aokai. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the series that I, I love it so much. Uh, and yes, I put all this stuff together and uh, the results uh, pretty satisfied. Now, you've done other work at Marvel in uh, Hulk and other things. Tell us a little bit about some of the X-Men work you've done. Uh, you've, you've done some covers and things along the way where you've done gorgeous work. Tell us a little bit about your connection to the X-Men line. Uh, well, I uh, realized a magic cover um, years ago um, was the um, Marvel anniversary. And uh, they called a lot of artists to realize uh, for every artist a uh, different character. And I do a, a magic color. And um, maybe I will realize some other stuff like that in the next future. Um, but with X-Men, um, I, I don't remember if I do something or maybe no, I was, uh, that was Hulk. Yes, I worked on uh, Red Hulk. And um, I, I uh, did uh, one shot of uh, a vampire character from Marvel <laughs> that I actually don't remember the name. Spitfire. Uh, Spitfire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love Spitfire. Your work on that was gorgeous. Uh, with Blade. And uh, yes, that's it. Because after uh, Red Hulk, I uh, have had a uh, post with the Marvel and I worked for uh, other publishers. And I come back to work with, uh, with them just with Black Widow, yes. Are you an X-Men fan? And who are your favorite characters in the X-Men? Good question. <laughs> yes, I, I obviously uh, am a fan of X-Men. And my favorite character of X-Men, I think, is Storm. Mm. Because um, it's like uh, she's the son of the so different kind of the discrimination. And she had also uh, dramatic past, but she's so strong at the same time. She's uh, the greatest example for me. Yes, I love how she uh, she acts and she reacts to to the situation. Uh, Bethany, you had a question for Elena a moment ago. Yes, um, I was back to the choreography of the fight, the fight choreography. Um, your, your fight moves are more realistic in terms of what will actually work in combat than most, um, most artists. Like when most artists use a knife or a sword, they don't actually know how it works. They're just like flailing on the page, <laughs> but, you act like, but you actually know how the weapons work. And I was wondering like, 
what kind of research you did or or training yeah. are you a FEMA <laughs> fighter um <laughs> like, like, I, i'm trained in bowie knife fighting and it looks it looks real to me um <laughs> it's fantastic oh wow so, how do you uh, um that, that's a great compliment because uh, to anticipate uh, i i wanted to anticipate the answer no i never study studied any kind of combat <laughs> or weapon in my life uh but i observe um the fights in the action movies oh, and yeah. uh, i'm a big fan of the uh, action movies and uh, every time there's a a, a fluent uh, combat uh, i i think i record it in my mind mm -hmm. And uh, I try to reproduce it, but um, uh, I have no uh, reference around me when I draw it. Um, I it, it's all here in my mind. Wow. And sometimes to understand the, the to understand better the uh, movement, uh, uh, the movement, the movement after I put myself in the same situation, and I thought, okay. Uh, what I, what I feel what I could do if I have to uh, use this knife or I have to yeah. do this punch, but uh, I am in that position. So sometimes I just uh, stand up from my <laughs> from my chair and do the movement. Uh, I think you'd be good at it. If you did it for real, I think you'd be good at it. You've got a good yeah, visual memory. But, <laughs> but luckily, but luckily, I have to do it slowly because if yeah. I if I shoot faster, I think I uh, I was dead uh, years ago. Um, <laughs> yes, I repeat it a lot of time to understand and then take some notes, uh, drawing some tiny. Uh, Tiny little figure human, and uh, yeah. yes, and then I put it all together for the sequence. That's great because awesome. Thank you. I I love it <laughs> because like kind of what Bethany said, like it, it looks very like realistic, like in the way that mm. she moves. But at the same time, I love how you like manage to keep that dramatic and very graceful look. That's kind of still like important for a character like her. So it's like this really great blend of the two that just makes it kind of like the best of both worlds. Thank you. Fight dancing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Elena, you're like, stop with all these compliments. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, we're big fans. Now, uh, Lewis, I know you do a lot of art as well. Do you do sequentials? Do you do combat work? Um, I've done like quick sketches like on my own time, but not like officially. Um, but lately I've been trying to get into that because, you know, that is something that I want to play around with and like, you know, get better at. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in Elena's work because I just, I love the way that she draws like movement. And I think movement is something that's very kind of like challenging to like get just right. because sometimes at least for me sometimes i struggle with just making it look a little too stiff right um and so 
it's for me it's just kind of important like checking out other artists work and like see how they how they lay things out how they position the characters and how they approach scenes like that manga. yeah with manga yeah. Which... If, if, I, if i can give you an advice with manga i love manga yeah <laughs> I, I haven't read very, very many manga but people have recommended it to me before so i'll definitely have to check it out what's your favorite manga <laughs> my favorite yeah. manga uh, yeah. uh, do you know Blade the Immortal? No. The Immortal? What's it no, about? Okay. No. Uh, no. It, it, it's about uh, it's uh, it's tackled in the um, uh, uh, medieval Japanese so Edo oh. years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it talks about uh, um, a samurai that uh, is no, not more a samurai because um, we, he rebels. And oh. um, uh, he received a, a course from a kind mm. of witch uh, that uh, gave him a kind of worm that healed uh, um, all, all uh, his wounds. And he became a kind of immortal. Uh, and the witch uh, say, said to him, uh, um, you have to uh, save uh, 10 lives to uh, make end uh, this, this course. So he started the travel with uh, a girl that uh, saw his family murdered by other samurai. And uh, he decided to help her to get uh, her revenge. And they do this travel uh, in, uh, in the Japan, uh, fighting uh, all the enemies they found on the path. It's really, it's really, um, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not a, com a comedy. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of dramatic, a lot of uh, blood, yes, a little cool. blood, and uh, but it's so so romantic and um, full of uh, you know that kind of uh, uh, ancient feeling like honor and like yeah. uh, family. Um, Family, uh, your family links, family, uh, family bonds and stuff like that. Exactly. exactly yes. Yeah. And uh, yes, it, it's uh, it's amazing. And uh, right now, I heard that uh, there's uh, the stories uh, continue, continues. Cool. There's uh, a second series. Uh, Awesome. Elena, I know when we were initially chatting, you were saying things like, I hope my English is good. Your English is amazing. <laughs> You're doing incredible. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it, is, it is certainly better than the four words in Italian that I know. So, <laughs> um, so I think with that, let's uh, let's transition to our interview review today. Elena, I uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer questions about your work. I uh, as, as, as you 
I hope you can tell we're big fans. Uh, and as I'm looking back through Black Widow, even as we're chatting, I'm just like, oh, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, the the fashion, the colors, the the action, it's it's incredible. Uh, as I get to know artists through this podcast, they see their work very differently. Uh, and you put a lot of love. Uh, and we don't see a lot of all female teams uh, out there doing doing this type of work. Uh, are you familiar with Power Pack? The, the characters, they're the child superheroes from the 80s. Um, if, if not, look them, look them up sometime. We got to interview June Brigman a couple uh, episodes back, who uh, it's one of the first kind of all-female teams in comics that happened when Louise Simonson and June Brigman were doing this book back in the 80s. Um, and uh, it just we're seeing more and more female creators now and all-female teams, and it's so incredibly inspiring to see the work you're doing. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. It's wonderful to hear, uh, hear the, the person behind the gorgeous art. Uh, so I hope to hear some of your art commentary on the on the book we're talking about today. Okay. Uh, so let's start with uh, X-Men yeah. number 42 is our issue. I, again, this is an old book. This is the second part of the storyline featuring this kind of bizarre character, grotesque. We have two stories. The first 15 pages cover the conclusion, and then the last five pages cover the uh, the backup story. We'll do that at the end. Uh, I got to interview Roy Thomas a little while back, and we talked a little bit about this issue. And so I'm going to include some spoilers here, but they're over wow. 50 years old, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> the the X-Men were really struggling sales-wise here. Uh, they were really struggling to get readers to buy the book. It was not doing well. And after this issue, we're going to see a lot of really bizarre one-offs. Uh, uh, they fought Frankenstein. There, there's a bunch of really crazy continuity shifts coming up. They're fighting bizarre villains. They're trying to toss some monsters in. In this issue, they kill off Professor X. They're trying to raise sales, right? Uh, so uh, spoiler in advance, it's not Professor X who dies. We won't learn it until X-Men number 65, which is a long time away. But the character who actually dies in this issue is the Changeling. Um, Professor X is hiding in the basement, uh, preparing for an alien invasion, and Jean Grey is the only one who knows. So uh, some kind of silly old continuity, but the readers at the time did not know that. And so we get this image on the cover of the five X-Men with very shocked faces, uh, and there's kind of a round yellow moon with the shadow of Professor X dramatically falling out of his wheelchair. The words on the bottom of the cover say, not a hoax, not a dream, not an imaginary tale. This is for real. Across the top in giant white letters on a red background, very dramatically, it says the death of Professor X. Uh, so tell me about your thoughts or reactions to this cover. Did you like it? Uh, what did you like about it or not like about it? Um, well, I'm... The first thing, the first thing that I noticed uh, because I'm not, um, I don't used to read the those kind of comics because uh, they are old and uh, it's not easy to find here. Uh, that they talk very much. <laughs> they talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it's funny to um, to think about why. Uh, I suppose uh, uh, this is the Stanley method that uh, they use in Marvel. Yes. So they have the toughness uh, before uh, draw every panel, and then the uh, then Stan put the dialogue. So I suppose it's the 
the reasons they uh, uh, they talk uh, so much and they talk so uh, didascalic uh, mm. about what, what what's happening. Um, and just to well, and just to outline uh, that. And just to outline that briefly for our listeners, so we're, we're referring to the Marvel method here, where there would be a loose plot, yeah. the artist would draw everything, and then the writer would come back and add the words later. But yeah, in the 60s, and that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast, is very few people have read the original books. That you, the, these are the characters we love, but we haven't read the stuff back then. Um, and yeah, the, the 60s are very word dense. The There's just so many words per page. It's almost ridiculous. Did you like the cover of the book, Elena? Um, yes, but um, <laughs> it's a little uh, ridiculous, the pose of uh, the professor. Yeah. Uh, seems, yeah seems like uh, he's dancing and not uh, he's, uh, falling uh, <laughs> from this chair. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... <laughs> no, that's... You're not wrong. It does. It looks well, like a, it looks like the cover of like an American in Paris or something. <laughs> uh, Bethany and Lewis, what did you think of the cover? I just it it didn't really speak to me in any way. Um, but it, you wouldn't expect it to being a, a 1960s sell it to children thing. Um, but I, I thought it was graphically interesting. At least I, I liked the falling dancing. Not um, athletic for some reason, professor. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was all right. It was all right for the time. Uh, yeah, I, I think. I think it's a pretty. I kind of like it just because it's kind of an iconic cover. Like this is one of those covers that I've like always seen. You know, when when people talk about like the sixties comics, so it was interesting to find kind of like read this. Um, I like Jean's look. Jean is one of my favorite X-Men characters. So she's obviously at this point, they're wearing their new updated costumes, right? She's wearing <laughs> green and yellow Marvel girl. And she's not wearing like the crazy, like pigtails from like the original suit that just made her look really weird. Yeah. Hate um, it. You don't think the green thing is, is ridiculous? The green, like, the green mini dress. We the green dress that will not die. <laughs> opinions about I the green dress i i like it for the time you know what yeah, i mean for like, the time it's fine for the 60s right 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 mm-hmm. um although i thought it was interesting in the cover like beast hair at least in in the one that i'm looking at his hair is like blonde or is oh that's angel never mind yeah, that's angel yeah yeah, yeah. Jean's Jean's hair is doing some crazy stuff on this cover. It's uh, it's all kind of moppy and curly. I don't know. I like it though. Uh, my kids and I will play a game L- sometimes. My my kids and I will play a very immature yeah. game sometimes where we will picture right before this picture was taken, someone passed gas. So so someone <laughs> someone parted, and now all of the X Men are having large reactions, like oh, their mouth agape, horrified. <laughs> so when I showed my kids this cover, they're like, who farted? <laughs> It had to be. It had to be Charles. Beast. And like he did it so hard, he like it, fell. Out. It propelled him out of his it chair. <laughs> well, now that I think about it, maybe the first idea was to anyway to have uh, a black silhouette on the background. But uh, if you think better, it's hard to um, 
show a man on a wheelchair that you know you have to uh, let understand that he's dying but uh, if you show him seated it's hard or on the ground it's hard maybe at the end this is uh, the best solution to to show him that it's kind of falling yes yeah yeah Absolutely fair. Uh, okay, so let's jump into the issue. Uh, Bethany, will you provide a summary of the first five pages for us, and then we'll take some time to talk about what sure. happens. Okay, so in the first five pages, we've, it opens with this, like, this. I, I went to the print shop and I printed it all off, um, with Angel being big and accusatory, and his body language is very aggressive, and um, the hallway is tilted at an angle, so it looks like they've just sort of turned the hallway down funhouse mirror style i guess that's supposed to show that like all is not well in the house of xavier um and um angel is accusing them of saying um uh, accusing charles of sending beast and cyclops off to die um because they're fighting grotesque uh, and they say that he's called grotesque but beast named him grotesque he didn't name himself grotesque he's just like yeah your name is grotesque now i mean um, kind of what happened is beast beast <laughs> said you are grotesque and then he's like well grotesque, that shall be yeah. that shall be my name then i will be grotesque <laughs> <laughs> owning it at least which is nice um yeah but i i love this i actually really do love this spread uh angel is hulking out sort of and Bobby is trying to calm him down and failing. And it's just, it's beautiful art. It's a, um, it mirrors the last page in the, in the story quite well, I think. But um, so they're accusing uh, Charles of not wanting to save um, Scott and Beast. Um, and then we zoom in and we see Jean Grey at, um, leaning against a table in a way that I think is meant to be sexy, but it looks sort of like a board that won't bend. She's, like, she's so perky. <laughs> where does she keep her organs? Where are her organs? Like, does she have intestines? Are they gone? Um, and see a little bit of Angel's casual sexism as Marvel Girl's making excuses for, you know, Charles, not Charles. Uh, and the next panel is sort of like, I'm surprised, like, you know, Lit Lichtenstein was basically stealing panels from this era and then turning them into pop art. I'm surprised the next panel where um, Jean and Angel are arguing over what the professor is thinking um, wasn't stolen for that purpose. It's quite beautiful, actually. But then Charles shows up and he comes wheeling in from the shadows. And I'm sorry, because like the magnetic legs that he uses, the mechanical magnetic legs he uses show up later in the issue. And I don't understand why he's not using them all the time. Maybe they're uncomfortable. Well, this but is actually, this is actually, this is actually the changeling. So he can walk. He's yeah. just pretending he to can walk. <laughs> <laughs> but later he pretends to use the mechanical legs. It's just, yeah, you're quite right. Um, and they have an argument in a brightly color colored sitting room uh, where basically Charles says, I do what I want. And Angel 
asks if he can please go save his friends who he's quite sure are dying. Um, Carol says no and storms off and tells Jean Grey to keep them prisoner with her telekinesis, which at least her telekinesis is getting more powerful. Earlier issues, she could barely lift a book and now she can, you know, hold back to teenage boys, which is fine. Um, so Bobby and Angel commiserate and like basically talk smack about Xavier. Um, and we move to the next scene, which is grotesque fighting Hank McCoy. Um, this is before he's Dr. McCoy and that always does my head in. These panels are gorgeous. I love the, like the physicality of them and I love the fun angles that, where's the artist's name? I can't remember. Uh, Don Heck. I, the angles that Don Heck chooses for him when he's fighting grotesque, we get a couple of nice crotch shots, which, I mean, I don't want to see Hank McCoy's crotch, but I mean, if you've got it, it's good. Um, <laughs> and they're battling while grotesque is having this internal monologue about what the human world did to his people. And I got to say, the guy has a point. Like, if nuclear testing <laughs> destroyed everybody, I'd care. I'd go on a rampage. I'd go on a rampage, too. Um, but I really love these sound effects, guys. Yeah. Sound effects. Yeah, that was it's one crazy. Thing, that was one thing I wanted <sighs> to point out. Um, yeah. On page four during that fight scene, yeah. that one panel where Cyclops is blasting, you know, his 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 optic blast out of his visor, and you see yeah. the sound effect like yeah. along with his Has that ever his happened before? that's like one of my favorite panels of this yeah of this um issue disease it's putting him to sleep it's putting him to sleep <laughs> <laughs> it's his daddy's little helper um but you've got you've got thwack you've got knock you've got blam you've got foo with that long like how what Seriously, like when grotesque is slapping Hank and the sound effect is T-H-O-O-O-O-O-O-M. <laughs> How? Like, does he have like a wiffle ball bat for a hand? Is it just like, making this whistling noise? Is I don't understand. The but the the choreography of the fight is really like really stylized, but I think quite beautiful. Um the and the panel that you were pointing out, like the Z Z Z Z Z emerging from Cyclops's visor when he finally joins the fight, um, it's it's quite fetching. Sorry, fetching is a weird word to to choose, but it's beautiful. It's a lovely layout, um, and I love like the so they anyway they're fighting underground, and the background is very abstracted, which I liked um, because the action is the important thing. So it doesn't need to have a, a detailed background and possibly for the best considering that weird ass living room scene that we saw earlier. Um. Well, I did want to point out too, I I like that same page on page four. I like how yeah. we get to see some of Cyclops, um, his, his resourcefulness. Um, yes. like, like that one panel where he's like, oh, I'm going to like use my, my, my beams to kind of project me away from from danger you know and then and, and like, like a face jetpack like yeah, a jetpack yeah he uses like a jetpack yeah. exactly and like a couple a couple panels later he shoots behind 
um, grotesque to explode something. So that like, that's what hurts him. So I liked getting to see some of that you know, uh, show up in the panels. Yeah. At the at the end of this issue, yeah, was... at the end of this issue in the second story, we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, Roy Thomas basically says, "Next issue, we're going to tell you how Cyclops's powers work." Because a lot of you have been writing in questions, <laughs> like we're getting lots of letters saying, "How the hell do these optic blasts work?" So we'll actually get to see a five <laughs> feature of how his powers work next issue. And I did like in this in the fight scene, like the the characters that are. Because grotesque is basically reduced to body parts. So you see his chest and you see his crotch area and you see like that, that those two panels where he's bisected with one leg and then the, his, the rest of his body's on the other side, but never showing his face full on to sort of dehumanize him while the violence is going on. Mm. So like you, you can, it's okay. The violence is okay because he's not really a person in these panels. Um, and then on the next page, you get that close up that uh, where he talks about his past and his history, and it's rehumanizing him. It's making him a person again. Um, and I thought that was very interesting in terms of like what the visual of what the art was doing, um, what the art was telling us. So he go he does that little exposition dump flashback um, where you actually see his thoughts, <laughs> which I think is interesting. You can see the the man fiddling with the destructo machine um, and then Hank um, trying to follow him with the, and Hank, oh, sorry, my so brain works. My brain is not working. Grotesque has a, a, a bunch of little studs on his, on his vest yeah. and he rips them Utility off. Utility studs! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He, he rips them off and throws them and they create a screen of smoke, which will then turn solid. So they, it will initially yeah. like, it, it'll initially make the room smoky, but then the, the smoke is solid. So the X-Men can't follow him as he rushes off to destroy humanity. Elena, what were your thoughts on these, on the art on these first few pages? Um, one of the first thing I thought is that uh, um, you can see everything you need you just need to understand what what's ah. happening there's no anything uh inessential and un unnecessary you know mm. uh you have to see uh the fight you see the fight you need to see uh the the decision of a character and you can uh, understand the decision uh, also without reading it's, mm. it's, um, it's something that i have to adopt to my heart as well do <laughs> uh, <laughs> the necessary yes i have to come back to do it <laughs> That first page, that first page shot of Angel in his weird costume and that weird pose, his like legs are spread. Uh, that's that's a weird image for me, but I do think Angel looks pretty good in this issue. Don Heck drew a, a sexy Angel. Uh, what were you going to say, Louis? Um, well, I think it's very interesting, like considering the, that this was drawn with the Marvel method, that the artist mm -hmm. kind of had to rely on showing all of that first right before um they had uh, the writing uh the the dialogue so it's interesting like i wonder like what was their thought process of 
you know, trying to get those emotions across, uh, across before even like knowing exactly what the characters were going to say or do, or, or, you know. On, on page five, we see uh, Beast diving into the smoke and then being repelled from the smoke. And I kind of wondered if Don Heck intended for Grotesque to punch him away. Like he's trying to, he's trying to chase Grotesque and he gets punched back. But then the writer instead was like, yeah. oh, this vest thing, like the smoke actually turns solid because Beast is bouncing off of it, right? I almost wondered if that was kind of lost in translation a little bit, because that's a weird thing for the smoke to turn solid all of a sudden. So that's an example of where the marble method could be kind of weirdly interpreted, because you you have the writer uh, trying to interpret what's happening in the art uh, instead of a direct script. Uh, Lewis, take us through pages six through 10, I mean, tell us what happens. Yeah, so me? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then we cut to back to the Xavier's mansion where we get Cyclops and Beast return to the mansion and they see that Marvel Girl is still protecting, or she's still keeping uh, Bobby and, and Angel in their rooms. And we get this great moment where Cyclops is kind of like, you can't you can't tell me what to do and he to get past her and she uses her telekinesis to like lift him up and she's like no you're gonna stay where you are like the professor said we're staying here um and i think it's a great moment because um they keep asking her like what's going on and i think this is kind of like one of the first issues at least from the early comics where gene is she's kind of <clears throat> she's kind of in a a position of authority over the other guys which is not yeah. very common um so i think it's just kind of an interesting change of pace for that character considering you know the casual the casual sexism that she constantly faces yeah um, xavier xavier is confiding in her to keep his secrets here not cyclops not the others it's it's gene which is amazing right. yeah and i think that also kind of like establishes that that bond that she and xavier kind of always have and like carry on throughout the comics we have to um, read the creepy... we have to read the caption Ooh. box we have to read the caption box when Jean is the pink Cyclops. The narrator says, but one should never underestimate the power of a woman, especially when she has telekinetic abilities. <laughs> when even the narrator is sexist, you have a problem. <laughs> like, it, it just, it's insane. And the thing, the, the bit about where, does Xavier love her? And I'm like, one, ew, and two, yeah, he does. And three, ew. Yeah, yeah, we have a problem there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like the, you forget about it and then they mention it, you know, like Cyclops is like, yeah. oh, does he love her? And you're just like, oh, God, we're back to this again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lewis, keep us going. Um, yeah, and then, then we cut back to the lab where the scientist is and we get um grotesque breaking into the lab like he's the kool-aid man and he's like oh like and he like grabs the scientist and he's like what are you doing and this part was kind of funny because the scientist like pulls off the, his like a mask and it's mask. xavier and i guess i it's weird because like <laughs> Like the, the way that it, it, it unfolds is grotesque breaks in and he's like, where's the device? And then Xavier takes off the mask and he's like, I'm not the actual scientist. I'm Xavier. And <laughs> grotesque is just like, 
okay and it's <laughs> in the side and he like just goes and i'm like xavier what was your plan like he's like i competed like i, I it didn't work and i'm like but what were you trying to do so uh, and the thing is in previous issues sorry in, in previous issues xavier's used his mind control powers to make people see something else so we the readers are supposed to assume that this is xavier so why does he need a rubber mask yeah, that's what it's, it's like playing it's Mission good. Impossible. <laughs> we do have a couple. Oh, go ahead, Elena. Yeah. Oh, well, that is a scientist mask. This is for fun. Yes. <laughs> a scientist is different from a, uh, a professor or yeah. a, a doctor. <laughs> yeah, we do see. I mean, I've got a closet full of masks. If you we want. do see Xavier <laughs> dressing in disguise a few times in the '60s. This my his hermit reveal is my favorite. Uh, if you guys recall that episode, <laughs> but uh, in this one we actually have a shapeshifter posing as a bald telepathic man in a wheelchair who's now wearing a mask and using a walking oh, suit to pose as someone else. <laughs> he, he's a shapeshifter. <laughs> I mean, at least he's committing. He's like, no, I'm not a shapeshifter. <laughs> he's no, a method I'm... acting shapeshifter. Right. right. <laughs> uh, Lewis, keep us going he's on page Jared eight. Jared Leto. <laughs> um, but anyway, then, you know, grotesque, he's like, okay, I've got the device. And he's like about to start activating it. And Xavier like shoots this like mental bolts and it's like very dramatic. And like, I love the narration, you know, he's like, He's like, I must concentrate harder, harder, harder. You know, it's very intense. Um, but Grotesque still manages to turn on the device um, and he activates it, like it starts rumbling. And then we get this great panel where like Angel swoops in and he has like this new device that we've like never really seen where he says, <laughs> what is it? He says like these, I thought these solar orbs, which the professor uses to store the sun's energy for his experiments might come in handy. Um, it, it's never seen of, before, you know, it never seen of, again. Right. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere, but it is kind of interesting. Like he's, you know, you have Angel using these light orbs, you know, like angels usually are depicted, you know, being like heralds of light or whatever. And and he's fighting this beast who's, who's accustomed to like the darkness and caves. So it, it's kind of interesting. Um, but I do kind of like how the team kind of swoops in and they kind of have an actual plan. Like Xavier came into the situation just like expecting things to unfold his way. And it just like goes horribly wrong because of course, you know, like it kind of it, it kind of makes me think like, no wonder you die at the end of this issue. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> but um, you deserve it, team, man. Right. Like, but the team swoops in and they kind of have an actual plan, you know, because you have Angel, he swoops in and he's like shooting these light things at him. Beast comes in and he's, you know, he's, what does he say? He like engages in a bit of fisticuffs. Um, and then you have Cyclops who tries to like flank him from the back and he shoots out the little, the little um, pellets from his, the smoke pellets from his chest. He, he shoots them out of his hand. And then you have Marvel Girl going up to Xavier and, and checking on him. And they're gonna go fight. Um, they're gonna go try to destroy the um, the the machine. There's there's something so uncomfortable every time Xavier is doing the harder harder thing. It, you just I feel like he's just referring to his penis every time. I must get harder. It's especially uh, the veins, the face veins. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and then the machine that Grotesque is trying to access here is called the oscillatron. The word oscillate means to vibrate quickly. Uh, what we figure out he's trying to do here is, I don't know how he knows how to do it, but he is trying to activate a machine that's going to cause devastating earthquakes all over the all over the world. And it seems like the changeling as Professor X here, it seems like his plan, he has uh, telepathy, which we'll cover later. Xavier gave him some telepathy to use, which is weird. Uh, but it seems like his plan was that. to lure Grotesque here so they could trap him, but really they just brought him to the machine that's going to allow him to destroy the world, which is a weird plot line, but well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Elena, will you take us through the final five pages? Tell us what happens. Uh, so we are page 11, and uh, we suddenly discovered that the cyclops blasts are repulsed from the uh, Graphics uh, bracelet uh, that I think uh, never happened before, it, right? Yeah, I don't think so. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, Bobby try again to uh, start grotesque with it. It's high, but uh, obviously it doesn't work. And uh, yes, the fight continues, but in the main. In the main, uh, sorry, uh, there's uh, there are Jean and uh, Professor X that uh, try to stop the machine with telepathic uh, powers, uh, and that that they combine right their powers together, and they uh, finally. Uh, find a kind of uh, improvement in stopping the the tremors. They, s- the... they slow it down at least. Yeah, really, uh, we, really, really slow. We also learned that <laughs> we also learned that grotesque's little chest studs that can create the smoke. They also are able to absorb Cyclops's optic blasts, and then he's yeah. redirecting the energy back at all the X Men, which is such a weird. <laughs> Again, I think the artist the artist drew some stuff and the writer's like, hmm, let's make these little chest studs super powerful. <laughs> I mean, one of the most chaotic panels in this issue is um, on page 12. It's like that big panel in the middle where like there's so much happening. It's so crazy. Uh-huh. And like, like Angel, he's like, he's like flying sideways and like dodging the, the light reflections but like cyclops blasts are like shooting in two different directions right they're like splitting mm. at least it looks like it or maybe he's, like, it's just I the way he he so <laughs> i think yeah there's a misunderstanding between the hockey and the and the rider because it's totally a mess that, that panel yeah yeah uh, uh seems like angel is a kind of shield but then there's the, yeah. the last shield from Scott, uh, and then Grotesque uh, is having the, the same solar energy object that he uses, uses the angel before, right? Yeah. And they are combined all together. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And, and then, oh yes, that's, that's the most, uh, the funniest part of the issue. 
when at, at some point your test took angel and uh, <laughs> throw, throw him uh, in the air like a, I don't know. <laughs> like Looney Tunes. Like, uh, yes, yes, very and, much. Uh, uh, he is, he whirls he whirls okay, I was gonna say he yeah. whirls he whirls Angel around over his head like a stripper with his shirt like woo <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, a, like a cowboy you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and throw him uh, against the other X-Men but Cyclops tops him with his blast so yeah. uh, here you find uh, a new way to use the cycle plus. Uh, this these issues uh, should be titled new new ways to to use the cycle plus. Anyway, um, uh, here we uh, come back with uh, grotesque and professor uh, that. Mm. Uh, uh, is closer to the destruction machine and uh, was very close to, to stop the, the engine, but then uh, is uh, really, really get mad and uh, decided to uh, improve the power of the machine with, uh, with both his uh, pieces punching di directly into the machine, but something uh, went wrong, and the machine, uh, I think it's a kind of explosion in the last time. Uh, so uh, later we understand better that uh, Gutas is uh, dead from the explosion of the machine. He's not dead, but they say he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you spoil too much. <laughs> <laughs> so guess... we are, yes, sorry, but. No, it's funny. I guess, I guess Changeling is a really good actor. He can act dead. He can stop his heart. <laughs> um. right. And so is Jean, because like she knows yeah. it's not Xavier, right? Right? Yeah, so it's like good for her. She's a good actress. <laughs> <laughs> or or a good liar. <laughs> or she's just controlling all their brains, so they think that she's a good actress. <laughs> like well, uh, she could use this the second option just to tell that's not my fault, right? Uh, it was controlling me. <laughs> right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so we, yes. Oh, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we are on the last two pages. The most uh, earth broke the the, the moment of, of the issue, and we are just right of the right after the battle, and. Uh, there's a Professor X on the ground, uh, very, very weak. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we suppose uh, uh, because he used too much of his power. Uh, so uh, the X-Men supposed, but uh, 
at one point he confesses that uh, he's here. Mm. He's here and uh, uh, he didn't tell uh, to the team before uh, to, you know, always the same, same reason to don't let worry too much, don't uh, distract them from the, from the fight and uh, uh, here uh, all the members of the group uh, think that uh, this is why uh, Jim was uh, uh, strange for Professor Felix uh, was and uh, yeah at one point Xavier uh, uh, stops to breathe and uh, is uh, on the, the on Angel Harm, mm. and uh, Angel uh, says officially that uh, he's gone. And uh, we have uh, our splash page, uh, very dramatic, uh, that uh, as uh, Beth said before, is uh, pretty much uh, uh, the same or very similar to the first page we had at the beginning of the issue with Angel, uh, stand up with uh, Professor X on, uh, on his arms and all the, member, uh, the members of the group uh, behind him that uh, they are crying. But we have uh, also a nice foot of protest in the foreground. Another, another bisected body part, as Bethany pointed out. The, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. in the forefront. I think I think the image of angel cradling Professor X, right? Uh, the 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 angel, the angelic character being the one to kind of escort him out is really a beautiful imagery. And this is '60s mm -hmm. comics, right? The the target audience is white yeah. teen boys, basically. And you see an adventure that has consequences. There's a major character, the leader of the team, who is supposedly dead. This is a very dramatic panel. We we talked at the beginning about uh, deaths that impacted us as readers. And I can imagine that this panel was quite impactful because we have this heroic sacrifice. Uh, and then the most powerful but also most vulnerable character is the one who, who pays the price at the end. I think it's a beautiful final page. Yeah, it's, it's a great page. I feel like at the time, you know, like nowadays we look at Xavier and we're kind of like, every time he dies, we're like, ding dong, the witch is dead, right? <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, I mean, like back then, you know, like he was very noble or whatever, you know, and so, and so. He was I'm, still a I'm, jerk, but. Right. <laughs> but but I feel like by 60 standards, he was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by 60 standards, I feel like he was probably kind of like very um just kind of like a classic like stern professor you know yeah and so this must have been authority very figure right right <laughs> well but we also get we also get the tragic loss of grotesque xavier died saving the world right he stopped this machine yeah but grotesque was a pretty sympathetic mm -hmm. villain humans were using experiments that wiped out his people and he's trying to get revenge he's trying to uh to uh, find his voice here, but he's tragically lost as well. Now we see one character labeled as the good guy and one as the bad guy, but the death of both of them is actually pretty tragic. Although neither of them are dead. I mean, Changeling is dead. We'll yeah. learn that. We'll learn that later. 
but still, it's a it's a really abrupt. You don't normally see the villains die either. So for the readers to also yeah. believe that this this kind of Frankenstein like villain is also gone uh, has uh, packs a little bit of a punch. Uh, uh, Elena, what did you think uh, of this final page's art? Uh, I was thinking that uh, it's strange for me now to see only uh, Jean Grey with uh, her hands on the face. I mean, it's the yeah. only character that is, 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 is she's actually crying, while the other, the others, uh, that I suppose because they are all men are just uh, yeah. they just have a sad face. No one is. Uh, is, is showing uh, his own grief. It's, it's only Jim that uh, is uh, desperate. But uh, I think it's, uh, it's, the, it's the, the, the kind of stuff that was uh, on that year. Yeah. yeah. And Ruth Thomas is. Ruth Thomas is a talented writer. Let me just read his words on this final page. Is the caption box from the narrator. There is a time for words, a time when they can lift men's spirits or change the shape of history yet unwritten, a time when they can explain away, and a time when they can offer the balm of solace to the aching heart. But as the shocked and saddened X-Men watch the tearful angel lift the limp form of Charles Xavier from amidst still smoking debris, it is a, a time for not save silence, which is actually really quite poetic. It's really beautifully written, I think. Uh, Lewis, what were you going to say? Oh, just just kind of going off what El Elena was talking about, um, about like how like Jean was the only one who's like visibly crying. I feel like that's just that's kind of a very old school mentality of like boys don't cry, the girls are very emotional, you know. But I guess like considering that we know the context nowadays, where like she's the only one that. Knows what's going on, you know. Like maybe she's just like covering her face, and she's just like, "Oh, I'm gonna pretend like I'm crying, but I can't actually yeah. produce tears." So, you know, this is the easiest way to to show you that I'm like breaking down. She's acting. <laughs> she's acting. The thing that gets me though is that Jean Grey is the least overly emotional, and I guess that that works where she knows the secret. She's in on the secret, but like the guys are the one who are throwing who are throwing temper tantrums, like Angel is acting like my two-year-old son and just <laughs> throwing his toys out the pram and beast is freaking out and everybody's freaking out except jean gray and her perfect linda belcher hair um so it's just it's that's a reflection of sexism too i think that like yeah. she's perceived as the one who's being the most emotional but she's actually the least or no. she's allowed to the story that follows the story that follows this the five pages i'll cover in just a second we see professor x kind of rescuing cyclops cyclops is devastated he's an orphan who has no one and the story that immediately follows this is a reminder of why professor x was so important back then he's the man with the dream the one who wants to create the coexistence and we're seeing this example in the story that follows of him taking an orphan child and giving him a purpose creating him giving him a home and a space uh, and so for all of these teens, the idea of losing Professor X uh, really casts them adrift. They're barely, you know, 18, 19 years old. 
This man has given them purpose. I mean, and one side he's created a child army and put them into devastating danger over and over again. <laughs> but on the but on the more heroic side, he's given a home to five wayward mutants who don't belong anywhere else because the world hates and fears them. And so the loss of this creates as a, as a writer. Uh, the loss of this creates major storytelling opportunities that could be capitalized on, but kind of are not. <laughs> yeah, because the next issues that follow are really tragic. I also believe, and I didn't ask Roy Thomas this directly, we have this kind of, at the end of issue number 39, we have this very quick reveal that Changeling is a shape changer. And now he's in this issue, and there's very clear hints that there's something odd about Xavier in these two issues. Uh, so it's not stated outwardly until issue 65, which is quite a ways away, that Changeling's the one that died, not Xavier. But you kind of see it seated here, right? It, you, you, it makes you wonder. There's something off about Xavier. Uh, maybe he's not the one who died. Um, as we yeah. as we wrap that up, was... I just wanted to hear your thoughts on on that and and uh, and on and on grotesque as the villain. What what were your thoughts as we kind of summarize these these issues here? Luis, go ahead. Yeah, I I just wanted like to go off what you were saying. Where like while I was reading the issue, I did kind of feel like Xavier felt a little distant and very um like um how do you say it like like not confrontational but like um defensive against them and like just very uh abrupt and and um very stern like more stern than usual you know mm -hmm. yeah and um like it definitely like produces that feeling of something's up with xavier and i think it also kind of makes it a bit more tragic that he dies the same issue where he was kind of being a little meaner to them you know it's kind of like a, oh like our like the last memories of him are kind of like very because even like Aided. just as right because like just as he dies he's like you know angel he's like oh professor like like don't talk like it's okay and he's like shut up angel and it's just, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares right um but I also feel for grotesque, like I kind of what Bethany said earlier in the in, in the episode. Um, he is a very sympathetic villain, and like he's not entirely wrong, you know. Like people did he's kill his point. his entire civilization, and like I kind of get where he was coming from. Obviously, I don't agree with him, but it, I did feel sad when he died. You know, I I wish like something could have it, it would have worked out for him. But I yeah, guess the human tragedy. He comes human, back in Captain Marvel, doesn't he? He comes back yeah, in Ms. Like Marvel, he's, yeah, he's in, a, in, in 10 Marvel, years or so. Yeah. But uh, uh, the humans who killed his people are the real villains here. Right, right, exactly. Um, uh, Elena. Uh, as actually Grotesque uh, uh, killed someone during those issues. Say again. Uh, does Grotesque actually kill someone during the couple of issues? No. He threatens a lot of humans, but no one else dies. Yeah. He fails. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, to the Comics Code Authority didn't... Really wants to. The, okay. the Comics Code Authority didn't really allow anyone to die back then. But yes, ultimately, he didn't kill anyone. He threatened to, but ultimately did not. He he supposedly died himself here. Okay. Uh, we also... Get, I was, I was... 
I was going to say, we also get this final box. Now that the X-Men are without a leader, it promises that the next villain they're going to face is Magneto, who's their greatest foe, which is like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, what's going to happen now with Professor <laughs> X not around to guide them? It's a, it's 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 kind of a scary foreboding. And um, I'm going to summarize the last five pages briefly. We're at time. Are you guys all OK for 10 more minutes? Just wanted to check in with everyone. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, so in the final five pages, we, we get this continuation of the story that uh, Roy Thomas has been crafting about the beginning of the X-Men, or kind of their early days. Uh, it's opening with the recruitment of Cyclops, and this has been going on for a couple of issues now. Uh, this this uh, story is titled The End or the Beginning. Uh, we have Roy Thomas uh, with the old X-Men penciler Werner Roth doing the backup stories here. Inks are by Herb Trimpey. Uh, and then the letters are by Al Kersrock. Uh, so in the previous issues, we've seen the orphan Scott Summers has been manipulated by the mutant Jack Winters. We, we commented on the Summers-Winters uh, dichotomy a few episodes ago. Uh, he's been uh, coerced into breaking into an atomic facility. This bad guy, Jack of Diamonds, his plan is to use radiation to turn himself into an all-diamond form, kind of Emma Frost style. I want to see this character come back on Krakoa and fight Emma Frost now because he's the <laughs> the telepathic diamond guy, uh, which is kind of her thing. Only if um, they're both wearing only if they're both wearing white bikinis. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, Professor X is there to stop him. So as we as we kind of launch in, I'll summarize these five pages very briefly. Uh, Professor X and Cyclops are barely able to hold Jack off. He's now calling himself the Living Diamond. They run inside, and we have two stories in a row that involve a government machine that causes vibrations. Uh, resulting in the death of a villain, which is a weird, weird parallel for these these two stories to have in, <laughs> to have the same thing happen right in a row. Uh, it's almost like I didn't even forgot. catch that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you just forgot what happened to Grotesque. But inside, instead of an oscillatron, we have what they call an ultrasonic vibration inducer, which Xavier discovered by mentally probing from the outside, because that's how telepathy works. Uh, <laughs> Xavier mentally instructs Cyclops how to use the machine it's apparently designed to test the reaction of radioactive isotopes under stress. A Cyclops activates the machine, which makes an mmm sound over several panels. Uh, and the, the living diamond, it makes him harder. Uh, we've got that word again. Xavier yells at, Xavier yells at the living diamond to go limp. If you keep getting harder, you're going to die. I need you to go limp. But the machine explodes. Uh, Seemingly killing the living diamond. And I do think he's dead. This wait, character... wait, 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 wait. So he gets he gets harder and harder and harder until he explodes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh he did not <laughs> he did not listen to the warning. If this lasts for more than four hours, seek out a medical professional. He used too much Viagra and he explodes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um now, this character doesn't come back until a John Byrne story. I believe it's John Byrne. In Sens- Sensational She-Hulk, I think it's number 35. He comes back as, as a zombie. Uh, which is, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the changeling, so the changeling also comes back in that storyline as a zombie. Uh, we have a storyline in She-Hulk where uh, the character Black Talon raises an army of villain zombies, and both of them are seen in that issue. Those are the next times that they appear. Uh, Cyclops feels terrible here, but Xavier tells him they only killed this man because it was self-defense, which is a weird way to start Cyclops's career in the X-Men. Xavier kind of cajoled him into murdering someone. 
and then says, oh, it wasn't your fault. You're fine, which is a weird kind of mentor thing. Here's a teenage boy being coerced by this this telepathic man. Uh, Xavier then invites Cyclops or Scott back to his uh, empty mansion. It's a long, silent car ride home. And when they finally get there, Xavier tells him about his dream to form a team of mutants uh, to give them a home to help protect the world. Uh, he, you know, this whole kind of dream of peaceful coexistence. Uh, Scott is very eager. <laughs> That's true. Scott is very eager to please Xavier, which kind of sets up this long-term relationship between them, which is frankly still there in the comic books. Uh, uh, he wants Scott to be the nucleus of his team. So we have this boy who has lost his family, who has no home, now being given a home. He's feeling very helpless. Uh, he can't control his optic blasts. And Xavier not only gives him a home, but a purpose. He's designed him a costume and he gives him a ruby quartz visor. Uh, and then he gives him a code name. Let me read the last couple of panels out loud here. Um, uh, Cyclops is able to control his optic blasts with these visors. And Xavier says, uh, you are ready to become the first of my extra powered mutant allies they who shall be known as the X-Men. And because your eye beams seem to emanate from one gigantic orb, I shall call you Cyclops. So this is where the origin of his code name comes in. Uh, Cyclops responds, I hope and pray I'll never let you or my fellow mutants down, sir. But outside we get kind of a moment of Cyclops being lonely again, which kind of sets up his whole character, frankly. And in his thought bubbles, we see him say, I believe in Professor Xavier's goal to seek an end to the distrust between mutants and homo sapiens. Still, perhaps one day I'll lose the superpower, which makes me a menace to all who come near me. And I hope and pray that day will come soon. So even though he's been given a purpose, we still him see still haunted by this idea of uh, what his optic blasts represent. So I'm covering that very briefly, but there's a lot that happens in this story. Despite the death of the villain by vibration, once again, <laughs> we uh, we see uh, we see some really powerful work on the character of Cyclops and the relationship between Cyclops and Xavier. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on this story? I thought it was. Um... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go, go. <laughs> um, I thought it was, well, first of all, I, I really liked talking about um, Roy Thomas's writing. I really liked that description. Um, Xavier says where he says, you will be the nucleus around which I build the team. Um, I think, I don't know, that that line just really spoke to me. I thought that was just a really cool description of like how he started the X-Men, right? Where he kind of built the team around Cyclops. Um, given just like what we know Cyclops goes on to become and, you know, how, how um, important he is to the team. Um, and I also think it's kind of interesting where there's a bit of a parallel with like Magneto and his brotherhood when, when he starts building the team, he, he rescues Wanda and Pietro and they're kind of like, oh, you saved us. You, you taught us, you know, how cruel the, the humans can be. Like we are now loyal to you. And it's interesting that there's like a parallel with Xavier where like Xavier comes in and saves Cyclops in, the, in a similar way. And, and Cyclops is like, oh, you saved me. You showed me how better, how much better the world can be. I'm going to now, you know, give you my loyalty. And but Xavier's, kind of Xavier's method is do as you're told, whereas Magneto's method is like, call me master. Yeah. So there's right. <laughs> an interesting dichotomy there too. Yeah. Elena, what did you think about this final story? Um. <clears throat> Uh, I actually never read the origin story of Cyclops, uh, and uh, I never thought that uh, 
he was uh, on the wrong path uh, during his life. Uh, I always imagine him like the, the good boy, the boy scout, mm. you know? Mm. Uh, but it's nice to see that uh, uh, it's from that kind of situation that the, uh, the relation between him and the Professor X uh, uh, born. It's more interesting uh, in, in this way, the character. Yeah, uh, Cy Cyclops uh, is Cyclops is the orphan who was just adopted. I mean, that's basically what happened. But he wasn't adopted. Yeah. It's predatory. That is yeah. predatory behavior. You take someone who's incredibly vulnerable and you're in a position of power where you can tell them what to do and then you make them into a child soldier. That's ah. Yeah, there's a, there's a level of there's a level of Xavier manipulating him into killing or being complicit in the death of the living argument. Yes. And then making him beholden. And it's a theme afterwards. that continues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like it's, an, an interesting first lesson when you're recruiting a, a kid. It's like, oh, yeah, you can totally kill this guy. Makes him complicit. And then, like, says basically, okay, so if I don't trust you, you're going to hurt people willy nilly. So you need to follow me. And it, it just, it's, it, it creeps me out. It yeah, yeah. Out. It, Xavier basically manipulates it's... him into killing Jack, but then there's almost, you, you yeah. almost see a panel of him like stroking Cyclops's hair, like, there, there, it's okay. You had no choice. But he never does. He never even gives him like the bare minimum of affection. He like, he re replaces purpose for affection yeah. and purpose for, for love, which he needs. And eh, anyway. Yeah, the writing's an, excellent. It, it is beautiful writing, but it's a, it's a complicated relationship. Uh, as we are wrapping up today, let me just thank each of you for your valuable time and your talent. Uh, I, Lewis, I've been a big fan of your art for a long time, but it's wonderful to get to know you. Uh, Bethany, you and I are friends. I'm so happy to have you back. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Elena, <laughs> I, think, I think your art uh, on Black Widow in particular, but all of your work is just incredible. I, I, I'm so happy to get to know you today. As we're wrapping up, uh, tell people where they can find you online. And uh, if there is anything we have to look forward to coming up that uh, that you're able to talk about. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Bethany, Luis. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I keep wanting to say Luis because the spelling of your name. Uh, uh, the, in the order of uh, Bethany, Lewis, and then uh, Elena. Okay. Um, so you can find me on the Parthian website, Parthian Books, and um, it's a Welsh publisher, um, and also on the Saren Books web website, and I'm on Facebook all the time. Um, and I've got some scheduled readings coming up with my publisher, which I'll be posting about online. And Bethany, I have... I have <laughs> Thank you for having your, me. Yeah. I have two of your books sitting mm -hmm. on my nightstand, but because I'm doing so much podcast prep, I, I'm always reading <laughs> for like the next guest. I haven't been able to read them yet, but I'm really looking forward no, to it. No, don't worry about it. I'll get there. I, I hope you enjoy them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoy them. <laughs> uh, Lewis, go ahead. It's not like I've got a timer. <laughs> <laughs> um well first of all i want to say thank you for having me i've been listening to the podcast since like the second episode came out because interestingly in interestingly enough i um started reading the 60s comics like at the same time that i discovered your podcast so it was just like a perfect you know uh correlation where i was able to like rely on your podcast to like catch things that i didn't really find before on my first read um, but you can find me on um, Instagram and Twitter at L-O-V-S-18. Um, 
I just generally post my art there. Um, and I'm working on a couple of projects, but we'll see where they go. Okay. But yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. And thank you for your support and your friendship. Uh, Elena. Well, uh, as Luis done, I want to thank you uh, to Media. You are my first English podcast. <laughs> I, also, oh. I, I remain understandable. And um, you can find me on the, uh, well, you can start from my blog spot. Uh, that is uh, uh, and uh, there you can find all my uh, social, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. And Lena, and, Lena West is uh, L-A-N-A-W-E-S-T, right? Uh, uh, yes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, keep going, and, sorry. Uh, and I'll be soon on the second issue of uh, Tria of Amazon for DC Comics. Mm. Uh, with some pages uh, between uh, other artists and uh, other leader projects uh, that uh, I can talk about for now, uh, always with uh, Marvel and DC. And Black Widow is still coming out monthly, of course. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Check it out if you haven't. It's gorgeous. Uh, my name is Chad Anderson. Again, you can find me on Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter or on Gray Malkin Land on Instagram. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but feel free to message me through Twitter or Instagram anytime. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to be taking a step back or step forward into uh, an obscure issue written by Claremont that uh, explores the origins of Jean Grey called Bizarre Adventures number 27. Uh, and we're going to be joined by the wonderful artist Maria Wolf. If you are familiar with her work, particularly her cover work, it's gorgeous. Uh, you, you can look at her up on artbymariawolf.com. Uh, we're thrilled to have her on. Uh, what an honor to have each of you here. Thank you so much. And we will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Graymalk and Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Graymalk and Lane can be found on Twitter at Graymalk and P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Graymalk and Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Gray Malkin Lane.